This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Julian Morrow. Welcome to The Roundtable. In the first federal Labor budget for almost a decade this week, Treasurer Jim Chalmers announced a new National Housing Accord, something he described as a big and bold initiative and a serious start, a serious agenda for dealing with Australia's housing crisis. Earlier this year, Four Corners profiled the experiences of people living without secure housing at the moment, people like Jessica. There was no vacancies in town, so it was a phone call to my sister. She lives above a pub. Children aren't allowed, but there was no choice. It was, yeah, um, so I slept in the back of her car and my son slept upstairs. We've got a new Prime Minister who grew up in public housing. What would you say to him? To help the low-income earners and the, the unemployed and the get stable housing. So, will the new National Housing Accord do what Jennifer wants, get that stable housing for those on low income? The Accord features what's been called an initial aspirational national target of delivering one million new well-located homes over five years from 2024, and the budget includes $350 million from the federal government and states and territories to build 10,000 new homes a year. So, on the roundtable today, we're discussing the new housing Accord, but also uh, social housing models that could uh, work or indeed do exist already and do work. And not just social housing, but also um, housing that uh, for the increasing number of lower and middle income families whose pay packets are struggling to cover rents. Our guests on the roundtable today are Nicole Gurren, Professor at the University of Sydney School of Architecture, Design and Planning. Welcome to you, Nicole. Thanks very much. Nicole is also Chair of Urbanism and Director of the Henry Halloran Trust with decades of research and authorship in this area. We also welcome Maria Palumbo, CEO of Junction Housing in South Australia, which uh, represents a community housing service provider. Welcome to you, Maria. Thank you. Welcome. Um, Maria has also worked in government, including as Director of Housing Strategy for Renewal South Australia. And uh, rounding off the roundtable today is the CEO of National Shelter, Emma Greenhouse. Uh, National Shelter, of course, the national non-government peak organisation aiming to improve housing access affordability uh, across the country. Welcome to you, Emma. Good morning. Uh, Emma, before we go to the Housing Accord, I wonder if you could give us your portrait of the current state of social housing in Australia and, and how it shapes up to the level of need. So there's a critical, you know, I guess the, the wait list for public housing is, is really quite long. We know that there's about 155,000 um, households that are on the wait list for public housing um, across Australia. But we also estimate that there's probably uh, 450 thousand households who are eligible but they haven't applied so there's quite a discrepancy in what the demand and you know the estimated demand but but the other thing too is that our social housing stock um, has only increased in a 15-year period between 05 and 2020 of um, just over 27,000 dwellings so social housing is only about under 450,000 uh, dwellings nationally and that's only about four percent of total dwellings across Australia. Mm, so a real mismatch there. Um, Maria, 
Palumbo, you're um, the CEO of Junction Housing, um, and that's a community housing provider. Um, could you tell us a little bit about um, Junction uh, Australia and, and what community housing is? Sure, happy to. Um, so Junction is one of um, probably 30 community housing providers across the country that pretty much do similar work. So we will manage um, public housing or social housing on behalf of government and it's it's a slightly different model, community-based model, um, but the idea being that the community housing providers can provide that housing to the same cohort of people that, that government does, but probably in a way that's a bit more efficient than government can. And so we'll um, try and attract investment in housing um, as, as we're managing that housing as well. And we're also focused on creating affordable housing solutions, a, a different type of housing solution for people that's not your traditional rental. Mum and dad um, investors provide rental to the rent market and we're really looking at a different way to provide new forms of rental to the market to increase that supply. So we really focus on solutions for people on low, moderate incomes and those on very low incomes that need social housing. Marie, can you give us a couple of examples of what what you would say those different ways are and a sense of of the scale uh, that's been achieved in South Australia in implementing them? Yeah, so I think when I say different ways, um, like we, we, we actually operate as a private, um, say a private property manager would operate. So we collect rents and we manage the housing as efficiently as we can. And each property, it's a very marginal business, but we try and make a return of about $1,500 a property um, after we pay costs of accommodation. But we try and keep the rents low. So we will try and keep rents at 30% of somebody's um, moderate or low income or we reduce the rents by 25% from the market price. So it's always a constant effort to try and keep those rents lower and more affordable to people. And then with the returns, those little returns that we get, if we can get a scale, so for example, my organisation manages 2,500 homes, over those homes, that little bit of return, we try and seek um, funds for new housing. So sometimes we'll do some renewal of that housing, upgrade the housing, or try and create new housing um, and use those small marginal returns but to try and um, create, uh, you know, returns on debt or returns on investment. Mm, okay, thanks very much, Maria. Uh, Nicole Gurren, if I could come to you. As I said, the, the Treasurer described the new housing accord as a serious start uh, and a serious agenda, big and bold, he described it as. Uh, what's your reaction? Do you agree? Uh, look, Big and bold might be a little bit of an exaggeration, particularly given the teaser that we all had with the headlines on the morning that the budget was to be released with this, you know, promise of a million affordable homes was the implication, certainly in the headline that I read. And the reality is that the commitment is to try and maintain housing supply over a period that's expected to be difficult for the market. And to do that, and this is where I think the Accord does signal a real tonal shift, a, 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 a promise for all levels of government to work together, and that's really critical with Commonwealth leadership, which has been absent in the House space. So there's a common there's a commitment for the Commonwealth, the state and local government to work together around supporting. And this is very important. In the language of the accord, there is a real a very consistent emphasis on supporting social and affordable homes 
and homes overall that are well located. So those commitments are really important. And then the other thing that is novel in the accord is this agreement with institutional mm. investors, and we need to see more um, detail on that, as well as an agreement with the construction sector. So there's an implication that government will be working with investors. And when we say institutional investors, we mean investors like super funds, for instance, but a level up from the mum and dads that, um, that Maria just mentioned. Nicole, I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about why there has been that focus on the institutional investors and the, and the superannuation funds. What's not working in terms of their capacity to engage with the housing crisis at the moment? And even though there's not a lot of detail yet, uh, do you think that the housing accord charts a way forward which could be effective for dealing with it? Yeah, potentially. So in Australia, unlike, for instance, the United Kingdom or the United States, we actually don't have a lot of, well, we've got virtually no institutional level investment in new housing development. And there's a lot of, you know, reasons for that. But one of the ways that it's seen to be able to provide more long-term secure rental housing in particular is to get institutional investors. And the other point is that government um, definitely needs to support more social and affordable housing. But it's um, unlikely that any government actually anywhere in the world is able to fully finance the level of affordable housing need that we have in Australia and elsewhere. So if we look at the UK, for instance, there's around three times the amount of government finances provided by the private sector and through debt financing to produce around 50,000 social and affordable homes per year through that combination of institutional um, investment, often required through the planning system. So that is requiring institutions to invest in social and affordable housing, plus government funding, plus um, debt finance by organisations such as um, the community housing sector like Maria's. So you do need all the parties to come together to start to move Australia to that um, to that sort of a place. And the Accord does seem to set out a framework to do that. But, but without doing it in, in one of the ways, which it sounds like has been happened in the UK, where it's just been mandated by government, is that right? Absolutely. So since the early 90s, and not just the UK, most countries in um, most of our counterpart nations... You know, it's just absolutely fundamental that when you're redeveloping or when you're releasing new land for residential development, that there will be a solid proportion of homes that are affordable to people, you know, who need to mm. live and work in the area to rent or to buy. And by having that requirement up front when the land is rezoned or when planning rules change, that means that the private sector is able to price that into their acquisition. And so it's not costing them any more to make sure that they're delivering affordable homes. And so that's why you see this really impressive um, amount of social, impressive from our perspective, amount of social and affordable housing being included in even high value markets such as, you know, London mm. in the United Kingdom and 
and when we haven't been able to achieve that in Australia to date. Thanks very much, uh, Nicole. Um, uh, Maria Palumbo, uh, we've heard Nicole appointed to some international examples. I gather you've just uh, come back to Australia after a, a tour in America and, and Canada looking at um, some of the initiatives that are going on over there. Could you uh, tell us uh, some of the uh, models that you observed there and your sense of whether similar things could be and should be implemented in Australia? Yeah, look, the the, um, the international exchange that I just went along was with US, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand. And it was so interesting that every single one of those countries are going through the same thing. So, but what's interesting is that vacancy rates for, for rent in those countries is around 4%. And they're seeing the biggest housing crisis that they've ever seen before with blowing out homelessness. Australia is under 1% vacancy rate. So our pressure points are even, I was quite blown away um, how much further along Australia is in our housing crisis. But they have schemes in those countries whereby this partnership between super funds, say, community providers and government providing a, a what we call a yield gap or a subsidy to draw in the, the money to build those houses is so much more advanced. For example, if we think about the accord and the and the government saying let's you know start with ten thousand houses, for the government to for use ta- taxpayers' money, that would be four point five billion dollars to build those houses. So what they do is is they'll go to a super fund and they say if you can bring that kind of money in to build those houses, and the and an operator say a community housing provider can provide a return on those houses. We'll pl- plug that return, for example, the gap between what you need your funds to make for your for your investors or your members and what the rental can afford um, to produce as a return, we'll plug that gap. And that's a completely different model, if you like, than traditionally using all taxpayer funds to build houses. Um, and that's the path we need to go down because the number of houses we need in Australia right now um, needs to have a, a, a much more complicated way to create almost what we call an asset class to attract capital into housing, but it needs government support in some way because it's actually housing that the market um, fails for. These are people that can't reach the market prices for housing. So there has to be a subsidy somewhere. Emma Greenhouse, um, as the CEO of National Shelter, I haven't asked you yet for your reaction to the federal budget announcements. Um, what did you make of it? So there's, there's two two reactions. So with the, the housing accord, it's overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, I don't think we can underestimate the importance of Commonwealth leadership and the Commonwealth bringing together states, territories, you know, local government and institutional investors um, because that provides an architecture for, you know, longer housing outcomes um you know there's there's still uh, a lot to unpack um and a lot of questions um but but you know very much welcome um i think on on the other hand though um what is really missing though is immediate relief for people right now um who are experiencing housing stress so you know people who um are in the private rental market you know haven't seen increases in Commonwealth rent assistance so, um, or, you know, with income support. So it's a, a budget, you know, it's, it really is a, a split budget. So it's providing a long-term, you know, uh, long-term planning for a better housing system. Um, but also right now people are making really hard decisions about where they're spending their money um, and and the budget um, didn't didn't have anything in there for, for, for that, for them. Mm. 
Uh, and even though it's been described as a big, bold and aspirational target, um, Nicole's uh, analysis was that really this is just a formula for not going backwards from the current uh, state of play. Is that your read on it too, Emma? Yeah, it, it does seem to be the, the case that, um, you know, it, that Australia produces a million homes or, you know, in, in good years. Um, I, I think the, the positive part out of it is um, where they want to put that supply. So I think by being really intentional um, about where that supply goes in terms of, you know, close to transport and services rather than um, supply for the sake of supply, um, I think the, the one thing we would really like to be able to see out of the the million homes is not just about where it's located, but, but also how can we include targets that um, ensure that um, there's housing that is really um, available for, for lower income households um, rather than just being, you know, full, full market housing um, at, a, at a higher price point. Mm. On the roundtable today, we're looking at the new housing accord and also different models uh, from um, overseas or in Australia that uh, that may provide a, a way forward. And Nicole Gurren, you're the co-author of a just published paper by the uh, Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute on private sector involvement in social and affordable housing. Uh, could you tell us about what your research has, has discovered and... and your latest publication. Sure. Uh, thanks, Julian. Look, absolutely, this research is done by a um, number of sex sector experts um, led by Richard Benedict, who's a research associate at the University of Sydney. And we talked to, um, we talked to industry players, particularly our private sector investors. And one of the most surprising findings for me was not only that there is a significant private sector appetite for partnerships with the community housing sector and with government to deliver social and affordable housing, but actually the motivation for that involvement really um, surprised me because there is actually in the corporate sector, in some parts at least, increased appetite for and shareholder invest, um, shareholder expectations often are driving this increased appetite to actually see social, environmental and governance outcomes out of investment. So that's, you know, that's one of the reasons mm. why, you know, the accord is very timely. And then the other really interesting and I suppose hopeful finding for us was that actually there are models that exist right now. So super funds such as Aware Super have demonstrated even without government subsidy, the capacity to make key worker housing, for instance, stack up financially and even outperform other types of residential assets. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. So these are um, residential apartment blocks, just like any other residential apartment block, targeting key workers who are, you know, on moderate incomes and not getting rich, but they did expect to be able to afford decent, you know, secure um, homes, you know, over their over the life course. And so the capacity to be able to provide a particular rental model to that um, to that sector. Um, of, I guess, the housing need continuum that's at the moment really missing out means that those key work households, we could be talking nurses, police, uh, teachers, 
have security of tenure. So not only have they got a rent that's, you know, moderated in relation to their income, that may be even a market rent, but it's often a little bit below market. But the really um, positive benefit out of providing homes that are targeting for instance, key workers or moderate income renters, is that you can provide a secure tenure as well. So they're not on that rental treadmill that so many households right now, um, you know, find themselves on. Thanks very much. Uh, Nicole, if I could come back to you, um, Maria Palumbo. Uh, the whole point of the accord is to sort of make it more possible for super funds to be involved, but we've just heard uh, from um, Nicole that there, there are some examples of this existing already, and I believe that one of those examples is the Brisbane Housing Company project. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, and look, this that project really is a kickstarter, I think, for the rest of the country to have a really good look at that. I think that is the model that we need to go towards, and that's the model exact. That's the exact model that we've been talking about for a while now. So this is where you have a um, state government has created a, an investment fund. Um, this the super has come in, and and the Brisbane Housing Company, and all three of them are forming a partnership, whereby the contribution will enable 1,200 new um, houses to be developed and supplied to people on low and moderate incomes. And and the truth be told is that subsidy that we're talking about is relative to who you're housing. Um, we're already seeing smaller models, um, as was explained earlier, but they're for higher, like higher income brackets, I guess. Um, so, yes, they are key workers but a slightly higher rate and they do they do rent at a market rate. Um, so as we want to try and reduce from the market um, and try and house a more a broader cohort of people, then the government's involvement in that becomes really crucial. And Queensland is really taking a great chunk at that. Um, and the subsidy that they'll be providing in this deal is substantial sufficient to attract that super fund. Um, and I guess that's where this accord is saying, okay, let's look at that. Let's look across the country and let's see if we can make this model stack up. Um, and, and I think what they're saying is, you know, this is a long-term vision and view to create a new asset class um, that, that starts to supply long-term housing. And I think the, the argument's right. It's not just about reduced price. It's about stability. It's about recognising that that about 30% of um, households now are permanently in rental housing. You know, the step towards home ownership is becoming... Um, unavailable to a lot of people who mm. work. So mm. we need to actually understand that and, and actually say, you know, the current market where we've got a, a, a very um, high-moving, churn kind of private rental market and then home ownership with nothing in the middle um, doesn't work anymore because more and more people are in the middle. Mm. Mm. And so that's what we're trying to look at. That's what we're trying to create. Um, and we think there's models at work overseas. We're seeing it in Australia now. This is quite doable, but it needs everyone at the table. They're not, they are complex, but they're, but they're very doable. Emma Greenhouse, uh, we've been talking about some of the projects that super funds have actually got involved in, um, but I understand that uh, there's also been some interesting projects involving um, older women who we know are a critical um, demographic in terms of uh, housing insecurity, um, who've been able to start up projects even when, you know, there's, they've got no super funds involved and they've been able to create some smaller models that, that work quite well, is that right? That, that is right. And I think, um, what, you know, we, we know that older women, for example, are, you know, fastest, um, you know, cohort yes. in terms of um, homelessness, but, but you know, also um, around, you know, being in precarious housing. And, and one of the, the aspects of um, 
that cohort is that often they have some form of capital, um, so they may not be able to to purchase a home. Um, they're probably spending their superannuation or or you know other other capital on on renting. And um, what we're really seeing a rise of um, is, I guess, women, older women who are coming together. Um, and really looking at those opportunities to create, I, I'd call it intentional communities um, and co-housing, where it's not a not a share house, um, but it's a, a co-housing community where they can live together and have support. Mm. But you know, you're you're in your own apartment, but maybe have shared space. And you know, there's there's an example of that in London with the older women's women's co-housing and. Um, and you know, there's there's women in Queensland, the whole um, housing older women's movement in Queensland, that are really investigating these kinds of models, um, you know, and how they can make them work for um, maybe older women who are, are not maybe homeless right now, but but you know are facing homelessness, um, you know, but may be able to contribute something. Um, you know, to to their housing as well. Mm-hmm. And Emma, just picking up that observation that Nicole had about the changed appetite amongst private sector organisations, is that something that resonates with you? Uh, yeah, it, it does, absolutely. I think, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, su- superannuation funds, um, you know that that are really interested. I think one of the for for, for those of us in the in the sector, you know, um, you know, the announcement of super funds is probably not a surprise. Um, you know, because there's been organisations that have been doing a lot of work to be developing um, models. You know, and that has been with with super funds. Um, you know, to really nut through what are what are the barriers. You know. Um, you know, and the risks, and how do you um, get get that return? So, um, so there is that that appetite that's there. Thanks very much, Nicole Garan. We've only got a couple of minutes left, but uh, if you were to look beyond what was announced uh, this week and turn your mind to what really needs to happen urgently in terms of dealing uh, with the housing crisis, what are the measures that you uh, didn't see in the budget, or, uh, but that really do need to come in um, urgently in Australia? Sure. Look, the research evidence is in, um, in terms of how significant living in housing affordability stress is for households and what that means to their health and their capacity to even participate in the economy. So I'm with Emma. It was very disappointing not to see an increase in Commonwealth rent assistance to help out, um, you know, those um, households who are really living in housing stress right now and and are going to... that stress is projected to increase over the next um, little while. But we should also be looking at the Housing Accord to, to... signal right now that when land is rezoned, when we plan for new housing development, that absolutely affordable homes are going to be part of those developments. So that needs to be said immediately so that the market has time to adjust and factor that into decisions. And we should also look at reforming the existing rental sector so that we can give tenants more protection against um unfair evictions, but also against um, sudden rent rises and just that unpredictability Mm. that, that, um, you know, 30% of households now are facing. Maria Palumbo, just a final comment from you. What immediate measures uh, would you have liked to have seen in this budget? 
Oh, look, to be honest, we're, we're on the ground working with this day in, day out, and we, it's never been it's never been this bad in the 20 years I've worked in the space. So immediacy is paramount. I think states and federal governments need to come together and, and actually look at some immediate solutions. But to be honest, they're really, really hard because there's a labour shortage, there's construction costs going up. Houses take two years to build. Um, mm. So even if we start today... And, and make some rapid changes today. Getting houses on the ground is a long process. Um, and so, therefore, I'm really, really concerned about what's happening right now and the fact that the, the physical ability to get new supply is, even if we'd started the process right now, is two years away. Mm. Um, so it really is something that everybody that works in this space needs to come together and start um, working towards where things are working, what 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 solutions are um, locally in communities, um, everywhere. Because yeah, honestly, we've never seen yeah chart that course Absolutely. really quickly. But it is pretty bad out there, I well, must say. Well, Maria Palumbo, uh, thank you so much for being part of our roundtable discussion today. Thank you. Maria is the CEO of Junction Housing in South Australia. Thanks also to you, Nicole Garan. Thanks very much. A professor at the University of Sydney School of Architecture, Design and Planning. And thanks, uh, uh, Emma Greenhouse, for contributing to the roundtable today as well. Thank you. Emma is the CEO of National Shelter. And that's all we have time for. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Julian Morrow. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.